Merry Christmas, listeners. Noel, Noel. <laughs> Merry Christmas, one and all. Hear thee, hear thee. Merry Christmas, Rob. Merry Christmas, buddy. Merry Christmas, John. Father. Happy Christmas, son, and happy Christmas, ah, Robbie. Interesting. So are you a happy Christmaser then? Yes, most of the time. I'm a big fan of festivals and celebrations. Um, well, actually, I, I meant I meant just happy over merry. Um, yes. We both went for a merry, and you went for a happy Christmas, which divides people. I think Rachel's a happy Christmas. Yeah, no, really, staunchly as well. It. <laughs> but when I'm writing a card, it'll be Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. So that's exactly, why. I, yeah. So yeah. I'm a merrier. Yeah, I suppose a Merry New Year doesn't sound quite right, does it? Well, no. as soon as Rachel starts with Happy Christmas, I'm like, well, you've snookered yourself for the second half of that sentiment <laughs> now. <laughs> what are you going to do from here? Yeah. But yeah, a happy slash Merry Christmas uh, to you all. Let's talk about how we can make our Christmas more connected to nature then, shall we? Which is uh, part of the reason we're all here. Um, Robbie... You have a particularly good way, and when I say you, I mean your fiance. in terms <laughs> yeah. of something that you've mentioned on a previous pod, and Liv's wreath making. Liv's wreath, as you well know, yeah, she's very creative, and uh, yeah, it does do wreath making. Um, yeah, in the last few years, she's we've gone out and sort of collected different bits and bobs on a nature walk that she can, yeah, stick in a wreath, um, and then we hang that either in so, inside or on the front door, um, which has been lovely. And I've mm. taken a leaf out of her book actually this year, and I went on out a walk of my own <laughs> um, <laughs> on Sunday with the intention of looking to collect pine cones or nice. Christmassy looking. Um, bits and bobs um to yeah. put in the house and um yeah with the help of father was able to id what i <laughs> basically brought a sack back off yes. um yeah. and yeah and they were pine are they called pine cones john they're obviously they're from a large tree but are they called yes. pine cones they are yeah you could still call them pine cones i mean it's a it's a type of pine tree it's yeah. it's quite unusual the larch in that it's the only one of our cone bearing trees that actually loses its uh needles every year so Mm. it's like a deciduous uh tree uh whereas most well all of the other pines they keep their needles you know throughout the year 
they keep mm. hold of them yeah, yeah so so no that was really nice so i've come back I, I managed to get a um a job lot of those i went out not really looking knowing what i was looking for to be honest but one just trying to keep an eye out for something that might look nice and uh yeah grabbed a load of these uh pine cones um yeah from a larch tree and um no bought them back i've dried them out and they're sitting pretty on our table now which uh and obviously they smell really nice like they smell mm-hmm. like christmas yeah. so um yeah i'm trying to take a leaf out of uh out of Liv's book yeah well we should say as well at this time of the year especially Liv has got some fantastic cards that you can check out mm, at Liv does. Groves Illustrations Liv Groves Illustrations yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah no, say it, it again Liv Groves Illustrations, Liv Groves illustrations. <laughs> um, no, she's got some great cards on there for Christmas if you've left it a bit late go for it yeah. oh actually no her, her I must last caveat that with her last delivery today today. Was today so uh, yeah. but she has cards for all years round you know? yeah um, and also if you were if you were really organised and you needed next year's Christmas cards then Liv will still be selling them um, right now <laughs> um, but the overall point is very good John isn't it because one brilliant hmm. way to make this a more natural time of the year more connected to nature is by doing something which we've talked about a lot before. It's part of our mnemonic of uh, bringing the outdoors in. Yeah, definitely. Just talk to us about what sort of things we can borrow from nature to to do that. Okay, so, I mean, the re-thing is fantastic. And the the things that are commonly... uh, woven into wreaths actually are things like holly and ivy and i particularly wanted to talk about them funny enough because the um the the early pagan sort of form of decoration would have involved one of a few types of evergreen um plant because it was symbolic of everlasting life etc and uh so holly and the ivy were used very much for wreath making very much for uh sort of table dressing and sort of you know mantelpiece dressing things like that they adapt well to it they don't shrivel up straight away and they they give you a good um sort of you know a good green hit indoors now the really interesting thing is uh and i do love this story actually sort of when when christianity came to this country saint augustine was sort of like flown over and told to sort of you know get things in order and uh he found that the the sort of villagers which is another name for um pagans uh they basically were obsessed with uh these plants at this time of year there were things like the holly the ivy uh yew trees and um uh mistletoe now he had a great deal of resistance uh from the villagers when it was told that they they shouldn't actually be indulging their passion in these plants they needed to adopt the the christian faith in a more sort of specific uh, uh way now it's apparently sort of on record i their scrolls that say that he actually went back to pope gregory the first and said 
these guys are obsessed with these plants. What do we do about this? And Pope Gregory actually gave permission to uh, let them carry on with their relationship with these plants and concentrate on their greater sins. Apparently this is some scroll dated around about AD 600. So Christianity is in quite full flow here. So the going to the holly in the ivy, obviously in just saying it, you're automatically thinking, oh, that sounds like a Christmas carol. Well, the uh, so what they did is they, they said, well, OK, the holly... Uh, sorry, this, yeah, the holly is, um, that will be a sort of like a symbol of Christ's body. And, uh, the thorns would be like the, um, the, the, the spikes on the holly would be like the crown of thorns and the, the bright red berries would be the blood under the, um, crown of thorns. And the green of the leaves would be symbolic of the evergreen nature of faith and uh so that was the um the the holly the ivy which was often associated with holly because it would grow around it uh that was given the uh made sacred by its virtue that represented mary and so i the ivy being wrapped around the holly was seen as the uh the the love and the tight bond between mother and child, and uh, and hence the the carol Holly and the Ivy was formed, and apparently the first uh, the the first version of this was was very a, a very plant orientated quite um, basic carol which was delighted and all it was a- actually subsequently rewritten and so you can see how you know what was seen as a very valuable plant to pagan societies was very very carefully and neatly adopted by the christian faith and made it much easier for the faith to be adopted by the people it was being preached to so they're they're two plants um mistletoe is really close to my heart because yeah, you, I bet. you well we've all seen these lovely bunches of mistletoe that grow up in trees uh they are evergreen so i.e they they can photosynthesize year round but they are hemiparasitic which means they get part of their nutrition because they don't grow in the ground they only grow in trees they're quite an unusual plant in the sort of it's it's quite a mystery about how those seeds get planted the seeds are very sticky and uh some people say that birds will feed on the seeds and they'll poop them out and they they will grow on if they poop onto a branch it will grow others say that they can't swallow the seeds because they're so sticky and so they wipe their bill on the uh, branches and then it will grow and others say well they just sort of you know the berries just fall onto branches and stick there so so we still don't know that's still a it's still a mystery uh, well, it's a mystery about how they might spread from tree to tree to tree uh but there was always this thing and i i don't know how many years i tried this but i would collect uh berries every year from mistletoe and 
I would just make a little nick into the apple, uh, into the bark of an apple tree and pop a seed under. And I would do it, I don't know, probably 15 seeds a year, every single year, year on, year out. And then in, what was it, our lockdown year, 2020, um, I was pruning my apple trees and I suddenly looked and I thought, oh my, I've got a mistletoe growing in my apple tree. Cultivated your own mistletoe. Cultivated my own mistletoe, which was absolutely (laughs) wonderful. So Mm. it's a... It's a crazy, strange, very powerful plant. A huge amount of folklore around it, just like uh, ivy and holly. And uh, it's if you collect the berries and you just keep them in a pot or something, a sealed pot, and then you take the actual lid off and smell it, it's got an overwhelming perfume. Not unpleasant, quite a strange perfume, but it is very toxic. Uh, the chemicals in it uh, have been used um, to... uh, Well, I say they've been used. They are the same as the chemicals that have been used for nervous disorders and epilepsy. And uh, they're they're currently being used... uh, They've got, I I think, don't quote me, I think it's a protein in them called lectins. And... These bond very well with cancer cells, so it's being used a lot in research of cancer. Now, of course, they, I mean, A, don't go and use these things yourself, but um, the specialists who are using them, they, they tend to they use them in these sort of experiments to see if they work, but that's only half the work. They try to isolate the the active chemical in them, and then, of course... They try and produce that uh, artificially. So there's long processes involved with this sort of herbalism, but it's clearly been used for thousands of years. And um, hopefully with, with sort of like sort of, you know, that's helped leapfrog the knowledge that we're using now to try and uh, uh, sort of identify these active ingredients. But... Um, yeah, so I basically one of my favourite things, this is just a little, I'm going to read this. This isn't coming out of my head anymore. Uh, this mistletoe fact, which I think people will love, and we were talking about myths and legends and things. Uh, with plants and pagans, you get them all over the place. So this is a Norse legend, and it said that Balder, the son of the goddess Frigga, was killed by an arrow made of mistletoe. Frigga wept tears of white berries, which brought Balder back to life, and she was so overjoyed that she blessed the plant and promised a kiss to all those who passed beneath it. So there you go. That's how that one might have come about. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I had a fact of my own yeah. when I was l- looking into this, and uh, it suggested, it might answer one of your questions, Sean, that... that the bird that um, enjoys the white berries and spreads the seeds on the bark of the tree to clean its beak mm. and also disperses the seeds in its droppings, as you suggested, was, of course, the missile thrush. Mm. Yeah. 
Yep, that's our largest native thrush. Missile thrush is also uh, are renowned for singing in the very tops of trees. And they're one of our earliest singers and breeders, funnily enough, so that coincides with where mistletoe grows which is very often in the top of very tall trees and when the berries are about which is about now so they'll be stocking up fuel ready for um ready for breeding you see our song thrushes they won't be nesting really till sort of i guess late march april whereas uh mistle thrushes will be going a good month earlier than that Mm. yeah because Rob thought that missile thrush was something you get if you spend too much time around mistletoe. <laughs> I, had to cor- <laughs> I had to correct him. Um, yeah. Is that is that all of the plants? Well, do you know what we've we failed to mention? A plant. Uh, uh, is it a plant? It's a tree, John. Is that a plant? I mean, I should know that a yeah. year into the pot. Yeah, okay. So definitely, yeah. it's a plant. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, what could possibly be more natural than the fact that at Christmas we literally bring a tree into our house? Yeah, we don't do yeah. that at any other point. I mean, when you think about it, we bring no. we bring a tree into yes. our front room through the front door. Yes, yeah, that's that's Very a weird so. thing to do. Really, if you did it with any other type of tree, if you went into yeah. anyone else's house and they had like a silver birch. Mm-hmm. You, you you'd say that's a bit weird, but yes, you would. Yeah. With a Christmas tree, we all do yeah. it. Yeah. Why so? So, well, I think again, it's this reminder of the. It's because they're evergreen. It's this this acknowledgement and hope that, and almost looking forward to the days returning when sort of you know the the cycle of the seasons. Mm sort of kicks in again the seasons aren't at all disjointed they flow seemingly from one into the other you know the the only thing which i've already said i'm completely blown away by is the fact that somehow for millennia we've been able to identify the exact times but in nature it nothing happens uh during the year whereby you think Oh, it's the 21st tomorrow, so that's when the Dunnocks start to sing. They will not sing on the 20th. Nothing is quite like that. Um, every, everything sort of really is very much perhaps smoother than that. And uh, But it's it's this is why I love the term the wheel of the year, because it just keeps rotating it keeps moving nothing stops you know things things sort of grow up and things sort of um sort of you know wilt back down again some things die some things reborn some things hibernate but everything just moves on nothing nothing is so powerful that that it can stand in its way and yeah i think with the, the tree thing um yes we haven't talked trees and we haven't really we haven't got into yew trees yet uh but uh and one thing i would say a little nature connection thing it's too late for this year i'm absolutely certain but in in future years if you if you're going to have a natural tree uh then you might consider trying to get it from a heathland site where they're doing what we call pine pulls so they pull up the young 
seedlings which they don't want to grow because they'll stop the uh the heather establishing and so what they do is the rangers usually arrange for uh people to go along with some loppers and they can cut themselves a tree that suits their needs it helps clear the heath uh, so it's good for conservation management it's usually cheap as chips it gives you a, a nice donation for the national trust or english nature or whoever is whichever nature reserve is organising the pine pool, and uh, you get your, your tree. Right, I think it's only fair, Rob, seeing as you've been called out multiple times on this podcast as a fraud um, yeah. with your artificial lawn. It's just come to mind that um, Father Nature himself is a fraud. Dun, dun, dun! In, the what, the artificial Christmas tree. Yes. <laughs> As of, was it last year we had it for the first mm. time? We inherited a tree. Uh, and Getting uh, out on the inheritance technicality again. Yes, yes, uh, yes. You yes, both that's, used that's that. Right. <laughs> and up it goes. If it was my way, I would probably have a very small one. Uh, Christmas tree, that is. <laughs> and... Uh, I would probably have a yew tree and I'd have a rooted one so that I could plant it out afterwards because yew trees are exceptionally wonderful spiritual trees and they make superb hedges for wildlife. Mm, Okay, interesting. Let's move on to birds, shall we? Yay. Turkeys. (laughs) (laughs) The dear old robin. I'm is, thinking the robin, is, yeah. Yeah, it adorns a, an awful lot of um, Christmas cards. And, of course, it is our national bird. Now, again, without being controversial, I wouldn't have actually chosen it for our national bird. And there was a survey, oh, quite a few years ago now, which was asking people, you know, what would there be choice for the national bird for Britain? The um, missile I would have thrush. actually shone. <laughs> Not even the missile thrush, mate. I would have gone for the humble wren. Um, the humble because wren. Like, <laughs> a, it's very, very, uh, uh, well, I say it's abundant. It's pretty abundant. It loves ordinary overgrown areas. It, it exists in gardens, parks country places town places city gardens all over it's a wonderful endearing creature it's got some quirky old habits like when a a wren couple up when a, a pair of wrens couple up the male tiny as he is will set about building numerous nests which get inspected by the hen bird time and time again. And until she decides which one she wants, he keeps building. And then they will raise their young. Rob, who would you pick as your national bird of choice then? Um, see, I uh, the robin, I can't complain with the robin. I can't I complain act- with the robin. I actually I had like a bit of a moment with a robin out walking, collecting my large pine cones the other day. Oh, which, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, John, you might be able to tell me a bit more about it, but I was obviously, so I was collecting these pine cones and the robin flew so close to me on a branch. I'm talking like maybe two foot. And I was like doing all sorts of movements. Like I was, I was like, at first I was really careful and I was like, oh, wow. Like 
you know, just looking at it and I've got some really good photos and videos, but thinking as soon as I move or move a muscle, like it's going to, it's going to fly away. But it just wasn't like, and I was like getting, I was, I was there for maybe 10 minutes, like climbing up and over different branches and like grabbing these pine cones from up high, down low. And it just stood there. And I was like, A, because there's obviously the symbolism that like robins are loved ones of the past, right? And they, they symbolize that kind of thing. So I held that in my mind, but I feel like you're probably about to tell me that it was being territorial and wanted me to piss off. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, probably not. You're probably much closer to the truth in that it was, it had an affinity with you. Now, the one reason why I think, or one of the reasons why robins certainly do deserve to be our national bird is the robins in the UK are generally much bolder and more friendly than continental robins. And... This is known to gardeners very much, but also to walkers and such like. And the sort of experience that you had, Rob, is is not uncommon. And I think robins tend to have very nearly a symbiotic relationship with mankind. And they can literally, they're looking for how you might be disturbing the soil or or turning leaves over and such like, because there's always a feeding opportunity there. And they've got such a beady eye. They, they know that you're not a danger. Uh, they can stay out of the way. They can just flit and they're gone. Uh, but they they will literally follow you until they're getting towards their territory's edge. And of course, that this is one of the things that makes them unique is that they do remain pretty territorial year round. And it does get complicated at this time of year because come last sort of October, November, we we have very often a, a continental influx of birds from further north, uh, of robins from further north that will literally come to this country just to get through the winter because it's a bit milder here than further north and then they'll disappear again. So there, there's often a bit of conflict between robins who will fight mercilessly but they they adore human company uh if you're out there turning the soil over in the garden a robin will notice very quickly and take that opportunity for the odd sort of grub or earthworm for it's food. funny you say that actually when i was out i think we mentioned it on the last pod um, hoovering the lawn <laughs> no not this time <laughs> i was when i was planting the bulbs um which was really early in the morning for me <laughs> and um and a robin just came and kind of just chilled next to me it was really sweet mm. it was uh yeah. Yeah, it's happened a couple of times in the last few weeks well i, I don't know yeah. if you noticed rob that the the robin's famous red breast is actually orange <laughs> do you notice that i did notice uh, that yeah yeah well well i can tell you i can tell you why we we call it the the red-breasted robin if you'd like please do okay well the bird was actually so i i have learned named before the english language had a word for the color orange so lots of things that were actually orange were called red because they didn't have the word for orange as in the fruit so the colour orange oh, yeah. was not named as a colour in English apparently until the 16th century and it comes from the fruit. Having having read that back to you now, I feel like that might not be true. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but I did find I did find it online. That sounds a bit far fetched actually. Um but I also learnt because you I remember you saying to me before John how the robin 
even though we associate it a lot with Christmas, is actually all year round uh, in terms mm. of uh, it's territorial all year round. Um, and one suggestion was from the Victorian times that they would call postmen robins because of their red-breasted uniform. Oh, the tunics! So yeah. territorial yeah. about their patch, <laughs> <laughs> about their postcodes, <laughs> and yeah. um, and that would and they would obviously deliver all the cards. So they started associating <laughs> robins. Um, that also seems a bit far fetched now. All of these things I'm read. <laughs> no, I don't they know. They sound so it's different fine. when I say them out of my mouth. But um, hey, most things that come out of your mouth sound like nonsense. Though. Yeah. <laughs> This is folklore. This is what we do. Um, And the other thing, of course, which... And you guys do this tomorrow morning, okay? And everyone, all our podcasters, when they listen to this, in the morning, sort of when you get up, just open the window or open the door and just listen and you will hear Robin singing. And it might be... Well, you know what you're going to have to do, aren't you, John? What's because that? your tawny owl impression went down very well. <laughs> no, I've received a few. Well, I've heard. You know, I've been. Um, a lot of people have fed back that that was um, a particular highlight of the last episode. It, well, it was very, very impressive. impressive. Yeah, very, was, very impressive. The Robin impression isn't so sort of like is is very much more difficult. It's a highly metallic note, and it's very, very uh, randomly put together. It's higher than you can whistle. That's okay, a more of a. No, I can't even do it. But anyway, you will hear it. Like absolutely. So, but what is it, it sort of like? Because people don't know what they're listening for. Well, it'll be pretty much the dominant song. So what you hear, you'll think to yourself, I wonder if that's a Robin. Go in and mm-hmm. go onto the BTO website. And Can you give us the tune, even if you can't hit the actual note? The melody? No, because it's melody, not yeah. like a tune. It's a random, it's, it's a random tune. Uh, so it doesn't follow. It's not like a wren, which does the same phrase every time it calls. Oh, you and your wren. And you Robin. didn't have a wren. We John. get it. You think it should be the national bird? It's I not wrens. Leave them. I know. Okay, but okay. Um, no, I, I, I can't do an impression. I probably can't even get get an impression up on the computer quick enough to quickly Fine. show it or record it. Well, but, that can be the listener's um, homework. Um, Listen, so and I, but I guarantee you'll think well, there is one main bird that's actually singing, and it will be mm-hmm. Robin because okay. this is why they they're, they're great in winter because they they carry sing they carry on singing year round. Okay, so any other nature connection tips for people at Christmas or what they can do on the actual day? I know we traditionally, actually, John, we would usually go for a morning walk on Christmas Day. Yes, a lot of people go I out think- in the afternoon. Anything else? I I say get out whenever you can. I mean, definitely, if you go out for a morning walk, it's going to stimulate your appetite for your lovely Christmas dinner. If you have a good Christmas dinner, then go out for a walk to help your digestion with it. Um, And I'd say on that walk, um, quite apart from paying attention to the birdsong, do have a little look from this moment forth at hazel bushes okay because the hazel bush the humble hazel bush yeah you'll see little catkins starting to grow but they're very immature at the minute but if you look carefully at the buds over the next two or three weeks bud you will find a tiny scarlet flower probably two millimeters across which is one of the most 
beautiful things you'll see in nature and it happens mm. at this time of year which is wonderful that's my homework nice okay excellent and our other homework is to for all our listeners to have a fantastic christmas and yep. festive season thank you very much for tuning in as well this will be the last of our 2021 podcasts i believe mm. and we will be back with our nature new year's resolutions in january Sounds so great. robert father have a lovely christmas Likewise, and boys. thank you very much and to you and to all our listeners and definitely we will speak to you all very soon yeah fantastic have a great one guys thanks for that cheers guys